sorry, we can do that again. My okay. bad. No, no, you're you're fine. Cause cause the bloopers make it funnier. Okay, we'll we'll do this again. Hi, Annie. Hey, Shatash, how's it going? Great. Welcome to our podcast. This is Shush Periods, where we used to talk about periods, but now we just don't. Thank you for your time and for being our guest on our mental health episode. This has been a highly requested episode. In the vein of things that are taboo and stigmatized, mental health is one of those things, and especially amongst communities of color. So thank you for sharing your mental health journey with us. Yeah, absolutely. And also remember, it is also mental health month still. So very important that we get to talking about these kinds of things. We would be remiss if I didn't ask you some period questions on our podcast that has the word period in the title. When did you first learn about periods and what was your first period like? I first learned about periods when I was super, super little, actually. Like, I must have been about, like, three or four. Um, My mom, especially, was always really, really good about talking about stuff like this, right? You know, about, like, you know, what happens during puberty, that sort of thing. You know, just kind of, you know, trying to let me know what happens, (laughs) right? Like, as you're you're sort of growing up. So, and by the way, just so everyone knows, I grew up in Vancouver, actually. So, um, generally, a lot of these sort of, like, personal health or, like, you know, sexual health classes, they tend to start early. Um, in terms of what my first period was like, so I actually got my first period really, really early on. I was actually 10. I will say as somebody who, you know, grew up with, I, you know, parents were very, very open about things like this. It kind of honestly didn't really help still when I kind of got to that age and I realized that I literally was the first girl in my entire year to basically have her period. It's still not something that's very widely talked about, especially, you know, when you guys are like preteens, <laughs> right? And like kids. Um, so I just remember feeling pretty embarrassed. I definitely was intimidated. I felt as though I didn't really know uh, where else to go. Did you experience any type of shaming or stigma either at school or in the general world, maybe after you, you know, entered the professional world about like women and, you know, being quote unquote on the time of their month and just people having a negative attitude about that? You know, there is that whole stereotype about, hey, you know, when women hit that time of the month, oh, yeah, they're going to be like kind of got their mood swings, their hormones are making them like think a whole bunch of things, like create stories in their heads or whatever. A lot of sort of that language, it mirrors a lot of it's just sort of expectations for women in the workplace especially, you know, women in general, but also especially women of color, you know, you are expected to be the one who will work through absolutely anything. Like, there is this sort of, like, extra impetus to really push forward and almost this kind of, like, expectation, you know, especially in a lot of fields that are, that generally aren't full of women, you know, don't have a lot of women of color, right? You're kind of expected to really push through anything. I just don't feel comfortable taking a day off about uh, because I... I'm afraid that I will be judged for sort of being weak, right? Because when you think about it, a lot of that sort of expectation for women of color in the workplace is, oh, if you're not like pushing through, you're weak. You raised an interesting correlation between common period symptoms being conflated with women being, you know, quote unquote, irrational, moody. I remember when Hillary Clinton was running, people said that, oh, we can't trust a woman in leadership because a woman on her period who has access to the nuclear code could like destroy the world. And I was like, wow, those are a lot of leaps. Those are some gymnastics right there. 
this is probably part of the stigma, right? It's the fact that along with having difficulty, you know, looking for yourself in just sort of that like mental health spirit just in general, when you're, you know, a woman on your period, you do get to talk a lot about how like, hey, I need a day off because I'm moving, right? Oh, I need a day off because, you know, like some emergency happened in my family, etc. But, you know, like for people who have really, really bad period symptoms. You, you know, I remember, you know, growing up with people who literally, a lot of women would have to just like literally be out of school, right, for like an entire week, basically, right, because, you know, their cramps were so bad that they literally just couldn't get out of bed or couldn't focus or anything. But if you don't talk about something like that and you don't vocalize it, it essentially builds this sort of expectation, though, that like you can't talk about it. <laughs> Right? Like, even if it affects you. There's a general attitude of dismissiveness when it comes to women's health, whether that's their mental health, their reproductive health, their physical health, which is very alarming. It's it's just, this is something that men just don't think about, right? Because it's just, it's also something that they also just don't go through. Um, and it, yeah, it just becomes one of the many, many things that kind of just sort of gets like swept under the rug. I don't work in a corporate space, but... Would I say that my mental health has suffered greatly in this year of the panacea? Which brings me to my next question is mental health. Has this been a part of your journey into adulthood? When I was in college, I struggled a ton. And uh, I, I think the way that I would describe sort of like my mental health journey during that time, it very much was I hit it being peaks and valleys. I literally like hit the valley and then I kept going further down into the canyon. I actually was diagnosed with a form of generalized anxiety disorder. The second year I was in college, um, I was in a very competitive, you know, private university. And I, <laughs> I very much, I, I think I also took a lot of like, and projected a lot of that sort of, um, you know, both my parents are immigrants, right? And so I think I definitely also projected a ton of that sort of like immigrant burden, right, so to speak, you know, onto myself. And it honestly became this like very deadly combination where, you know, I obviously really, really wanted to do well. I remember the way that it played out was I started suddenly feeling very nauseous. This, this sort of like bled into my third year of college too. And so I studied abroad in France. And while I was in Paris, you know, I was still noticing that like the nausea was starting to, you know, appear in a whole bunch of different situations. And soon it became the case that I couldn't even eat. I think it's really worth going to a mental health professional and seeing if you have some form of anxiety disorder. And ironically, uh, in the last, I, so I saw this doctor during the last week I was in France for study abroad. And ironically, during that week, my anxiety symptoms just got so incredibly bad that I almost even thought I wasn't going to make it on the plane ride back home to Canada. I have always been very fortunate that I grew up with two East Asian parents who were always incredibly progressive and very liberal and very open-minded. And a lot of the East Asian community is basically you don't talk about it. There are definitely some Asian languages, for example, where there isn't a word for, say, depression, right, in a clinical sort of term. You know, when you grow up in communities where nobody wants to talk about how important mental health is, or even something like how anxiety and depression can just really uproot your entire life, it's kind of like what we were talking about with periods, right? You know, when you don't hear about it being talked anywhere, you literally, there's this feeling of like helplessness, right? Like you don't know what to do and you don't know who to go to even. And a lot of families I've heard of when you talk about anxiety and their kids develop like anxiety disorders, right? You know, the sort of knee-jerk response is, oh, so you're just nervous, right? Or like, oh, so you're just stressed. 
And essentially, right, like you're taking something that is, you know, so clinical and medically diagnosed and you're kind of turning it into something else entirely that it is not. What I do really like and what has made me more hopeful is it seems like that mental health discussion is becoming, you know, an even bigger discussion when we talk about Asian American and Pacific Islander communities, you know, around the country and, you know, the diasporas and the different demographics, right? Um, Remember when those Atlanta shootings happened, there was this very, very big outburst of like support for the AAPI community, protests against violence against Asian Americans. A lot of the Asian American community is not used to essentially taking a lot of their trauma and being so open about it and essentially developing it into a sort of inspiration and drive. Suddenly, it felt like all of their trauma was like all on display. And for people like our parents, especially, you know, that is not something that they were used to or prepared to even do. I'm sure that brought up a whole lot of other discussions about mental health that had honestly been dormant for ages. (laughs) We bury those feelings so deep that we don't want to acknowledge it or realize it. And the less we acknowledge it, the less we see patterns of behavior, the less we notice generational trauma, the less we destigmatize mental health disorders. In a lot of Chinese communities, right, and Taiwanese communities, it is very much seen as sort of a sign of weakness. A lot of Chinese culture is very much centered around this concept of like pride, talking about your mental health and even just your feeling. It was so incredibly foreign to them because when you think about it, like I am losing my pride if I show weakness. And it'll be interesting to see if the process of destigmatizing mental health keeps gaining momentum because that's what I want to see. Because the more shame we attach to it, the more we hurt us and the more we pass on that hurt to our kids. Yeah, absolutely. So thank you, Annie, so much for being on this episode. Uh, This is our second to last episode for the year. We've been doing shush periods for two years at this point, and more than half of our life was spent in the year of the panacea. And uh, Pangea, you're forgetting Pangea. Pangea, how could I forget? Am I missing anything? Pan-fried. I'm sure we can think of we can think of at least 20 more. We're pretty good at this. Yeah, we'll, we'll, but th- but this is not a podcast about finding wars. It starts with P. But uh, but thank you that, all that's for a, that's another one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's a different one.